0: Welcome to Insights with Sites, the Symphony of Scripture, a weekly podcast exploring the themes and contours of the weekly Scripture readings. For more information about the podcast or to download the companion notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca podcast. We now join our host, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Sites.
1: I want to stop and take stock of where we are in the lectionary year, given that we're about to come to its close. For November, we'll provide the final four segments of this, our year B. And in each of the three years, they typically end with dramatic second coming readings from each of the Three Synoptic Gospels, this year represented by Mark chapter 13. The lectionary obviously has us heading toward Jerusalem and Jesus teaching along the way, but it is in Lent that the Passion story itself is told. We have selections of readings from Mark then in November that come from chapters 11 and 12, Jesus has reached Jerusalem and triumphally entered before adoring crowds. He then turns to address, in turns, the religious leadership whose opposition to him has already been anticipated and narrated by Mark. The focus on the second coming at the close of the year is not accidental. It is significant for its own sake, and it also serves to anticipate advent of the ensuing Christian year. The first Sundays of Advent also speak directly of the second advent, the second and final coming. Hard sometimes to hear given the busyness of Christmas in its own year A of commerce. The one who comes in the cradle at Christmas is the king who will come again and whose coming is the very goal of history itself. Jesus Christ is our times and seasons from his beginning and his to his ending, gathering up our times in Israel and in all the nations under his reign. Before he goes up to Jerusalem to give his life as a ransom, he draws attention to where This, his final death, reaches out to gather up all time and space. Year B consists of 52 Sundays of readings, tracking, in this year, the narrative line of Mark's gospel, and providing, as well, a rich symphony of readings drawn from every corner of the Old Testament, including those psalms, whose ancient word resonates in accompaniment with the readings and which give us a seat in the symphony hall before and alongside Jesus, Ruth, David, Elijah, Elisha, Esther, Job, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Eldad, Medad, Hannah, and the list goes on. The accomplishment of the lectionary, as we've seen, includes continuous readings from Acts and the letters of Paul, as well as the Catholic epistles and Hebrews are reading at this juncture of the year. And in addition, for a great bulk of the year, one can hear an effort to provide something like a continuous reading from the Old Testament, though its size makes for the necessity of a selection only. For this Sunday, following the notes set forth in the final chapter of Proverbs concerning the woman of valor, we move to Ruth. She joins Esther and Lady Wisdom from Proverbs and Hannah, whose song comes at the final Sunday of this lectionary year. We are in that section of Mark's Gospel now where the conflict and tensions are heightening from various directions. After the triumphal entry, Jesus cleanses the temple. He curses a fig tree in what is an ominous gesture. In the temple, he is confronted by the chief priests and scribes and elders, and questioned about his authority to act as he does. The parable of the vineyard is delivered and received as a direct accusation including their murderous intentions toward the very Son of God, and his arrest is considered by the leadership but rejected as potentially too inflammatory. Handing him a coin, the Pharisees seek to trap him into seditious talk vis-à-vis the Roman authorities, a trap he parries with ease. Then the Sadducees, those who do not believe in the resurrection engage in a ridiculous resurrection scenario given that they don't believe in it. This sets off a dispute amongst themselves to which today's gospel reading makes reference. We have then this morning a lone scribe seeing that he answered them well, that is Jesus who poses a question of his own. The passage is remarkable for several reasons, which should now be clear, given all we have witnessed along the way about the way Jesus has responded up to this point with those he encounters. In Luke and Matthew, we have a slightly different angle of vision They make the questioner, this lone scribe, consistent with the other exchanges we have been viewing, a negative questioner, a tester. But on Mark's landscape, the encounter is positive and a welcome sign at this juncture that there is hope for all and that belonging to a hostile grouping like the scribes least in part, need not prevent one from seeing the truth. For this Jesus, in Mark's gospel, not far from the kingdom of God, is high praise indeed. In answer to the question, Jesus summarizes the law by reference to the Shema, the Hear, O Israel, of Israel's confession which is found in our Old Testament reading for today from Deuteronomy 6. His summary, the first table of the Decalogue, is covered by the phrase, the first commandment, and the second table by the second commandment of his summary. The quote, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is taken from the 19th chapter of Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself is enjoined of Israel, where the neighbor is a fellow covenant member. But also at the close of that chapter, 19, for those Gentiles who have come into the fellowship of Israel, in both of these cases reinforced by the solemn refrain, I am the Lord your God a nice inclusio which returns to the logic of the first commandment itself of the greatest. We could move easily to Ruth at this juncture, love your neighbor as yourself, which makes the point nicely in narrative form, but more on that in a moment. The scribe in response commends the summary and in a striking move covers the same ground himself in almost the same form exactly. It is this collation, one Lord God, love neighbor as oneself, spoken by Jesus and reaffirmed by the scribe, that brings forth the commendation, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Which means then, even if not knowing that the one Lord God Jesus worships faithfully in his own obedient life, is also making himself known in the Jesus standing before him. The scribe is close to that truth by what he has said after Jesus has said it. More could be said here, given that the next section of Mark, which we will not hear next Sunday, where Psalm 110 is interpreted by Jesus as elevating the Messiah to the Lord that David himself addresses. The conjunction reinforces the point being introduced here. The Shema is not being rejected, but within its logic, Jesus himself shares the identity of the one God, hero Israel, who has sent him whose love of neighbor as self will extend to the giving of his own life in love, incarnating the love of God himself for all Israel and Gentile both. Here, Jesus may be speaking metaphorically, but also geographically. The kingdom of God is standing before the scribe. Its loving expression will take place on a hill not far away. You are not far, literally, from the kingdom of God. Deuteronomy 6, our Old Testament reading, gives indication in textual form of the commandment to which Jesus and the scribe refer, as well as the charge expressly made that it be taught. Cross and to every generation at all times and at all places. Point being made quite vigorously. Keep these words. I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Jesus is himself this doorpost and this public display, and his words to the scribe make clear there is no separation between his own faith, his faithful adherence to the Shema, and his own person, the one David himself addressed long ago as Lord, the Lord Said to my Lord, it would be hard to imagine a story with more drama and more pathos being told in such a compact and economical way as the opening paragraphs of the book of Ruth. It truly speaks for itself in just the way it speaks, and in that way. So, commentary must defer to the text's own brilliant unfolding. Read aloud. It cannot miss its target famine risky relocation death of one husband followed by death of two sons and two husbands three lone women at a time when inheritance and home is all there is such as it is Naomi wisely counsels the Moabite daughters-in-law to stay among their own kith and kin Orpah wept aloud, kissed Naomi, and followed her advice. But Ruth, we read, clung to Naomi, and offered up the words we read, Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. May the Lord do thus and so for me. And in lifting up the sacred name, the Lord, the Lord is now indeed Ruth's own Lord. As to the question of Naomi, auspiciously posed, do I still have sons in my womb? We'll have to wait as the story unfolds. Though it is a bitter Naomi moment, It is the Lord who will have the last word in this brief book. As the psalm puts it, happy are they, Naomi and now Ruth the Moabitess, who have the God of Jacob for their help, whose hope is in the
0: Lord their God. We hope you enjoyed Insights with Sites, the symphony of scripture. For archived episodes and notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca podcast. Thank you, and we hope you tune in again. This podcast is a ministry of Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto.